welcome to what is it about the weather podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek, and I'll slow down now. This week, we're going to continue with our series on rethinking weather. As I mentioned, we're going to get to Aristotle and kind of why Aristotle's so important to meteorology. Or was he? I mean, that's, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit. But before we get there, as always, I hope you're having a good weather insert time frame here since we last talked. For me, it's been about a week. Enjoying a nice day. Actually, personally, it's a little bit of cooler air today, a little bit of rain, but pleasant enough at midday where I'm able to actually have the windows open. So if you hear some background noise, which I'm hearing right now, uh, just know that that's where it's coming from as I'm able to kind of enjoy some, some fresh air, if you will. And that fresh air in the city comes with other noises, but you know, a little background noise, good for the podcast. Now, there was some I was going to bring up last week, and I didn't, but I want to pass it along. For those that live in the U.S., one of the, I guess, things that has driven people crazy since the advent of smartphones, and so now we're you know 15 years in since the launch of the iPhone or whatever, has been that that NOAA, the, Nash, the agency that oversees the National Weather Service here, has never really done an app for the phone, but they have done something that I was reminded of recently, and I don't—I forget how long it's been out. But if you go to mobile.weather.gov, again, this is for for folks in in the U.S. in a web browser on your mobile device, and it will open up the mobile interface, and it allows you to get your local forecast, those sort of things, in a format that's at least structured for the mobile phone. Some of the stuff I've still found doesn't work 100%. In any case, I'm just recommending it because what you can do is you can take that link and turn it into an icon on the desktop. Now, you couldn't easily used to be able to do that. You could with certain you know, kind of third-party things, but it hasn't always been easy across all operating systems. This is something you can do in both iPhone and Android systems. And I'm assuming with any of the other very small group of what else might be out there. But it, but it gives you a way to kind of have that official forecast and have access to it quickly and readily available on a mobile device in a format that's easy to use. Because anybody that's ever tried to use those websites that are from the traditional web browser know that it can be uh, tricky at best to be able to do that. So just, just wanted to make that recommendation. All right. Let's see what else is going on. You know, I, rain. Had a good rain this week. I mentioned having rain today, but you know, I wondered if rain for any of the rest of you is the sleeping pill, for lack of better things to call it, that it is for me. Okay? So you're going to let me know what is about the weather at gmail.com if it works that way for you, because it, it, it does for me. We had this storm come through in, in short of a really strong Thunderbolt, yeah, I may hear it, but it's it's like soothing to me. Again, I can fall asleep to kind of those atmosphere noise generators that generate thunderstorms. I mean, I actually like that, and it, and it chills my mind out. And I was reminded of this because I was watching some documentary on ASMR, and for those that don't know, that's when the people talk real quiet and they do all those things. And for some people, that works as well to kind of take them out of, and, and it's the same thing for me for listening to storm noises and stuff it it focuses me in 
and takes me away from whatever might be keeping my head going in other ways. And I think that ASMR stuff does that for other people. But we all have our things that maybe bring us back to center. But for me, it's that. So let me know. But one last thing before we get to Aristotle. I wanted to pass along a uh, friend of the podcast who's going to get mentioned a couple times today, Aaron, who I he- always hear from and, and burst from time to time, had a couple of things that came up this week. But his first one, he posted on the What Is It About the Weather Twitter feed about, and I redid, I retweeted it from my personal feed, Mark underscore Jelinek, so you can see it in either place. He mentioned a podcast that I was unfamiliar with. It's called The Lost Women of Science, and they've done a couple seasons. Basically, they pick a, a female scientist that has had a big impact, but that maybe you've not heard of or aren't familiar with, or just their name gets lost. You know, we have this tendency, you know, Again, not the only people. We see these podcasts more and more, and they, certainly they're not the only people that get lost. But too often, whether it's whether it's women, whether it's people of color, whatever it is, kind of get shuffled away, if you will, because they were maybe doing their things at a time when it was very dominated by white males. And the stories often neglect to properly reflect their influence. But what was interesting about this scientist, who is actually very well known, and was one of the earlier programmers of some of the big computers, and the scientist's name is um, Clara Von, I think it's Clara Von Neumann is who it is, and I, I forget what, she has a nickname, and it's escaping me at the top of my head, but there's an episode about her and her role with weather, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes, and I'm not, I'm going to not do spoiler here, it's an interesting listen. And there's also transcripts of it online if you if you don't want to get into a new podcast. Just know that it's there, and I highly recommend it. any case, whether it's sharing those sort of things, whether it's telling me about if nature does sleep and pill stuff for you, would love to hear from you. As always, Aaron, I, I always welcome you, but like I said, Aaron usually hits me. About every three months, I get a, couple, a burst of things from Aaron, and, and I seem to be in that mode with him. So I appreciate that, as always. All right, let's talk about Aristotle. Now, to recap last time, we were we were going from very old times up to Greeks other than Aristotle. But why why Aristotle? Why 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 the focus here? Why do we kind of consider him the grandpappy, if you will, of meteorology? And it really boils down to very simply that he took the time to write it down. So he has a thing that he wrote called and I'm going to do it in my Spanish accent more than, because I didn't speak ancient Greek. It's meteor, meteorologica, okay? So, again, there'll be a link in the show note. There'll be a link to other things that talk about this, some papers that were, you know, a couple of them were written in a series, and I've linked those by an author who um, did some articles. It's, God, it's been 40, 50 years ago now. What was that book I mentioned? But, but again, all good resources, Okay. And all of them are in the show notes. And just know that my knowledge on Aristotle didn't, I mean, I know some of these stories, but it was really put together by this group of people. They did a very good job of synthesizing it. So if you like this topic, I highly recommend, because none of them, the articles are short reads, and even the book is, it's interesting because it's a good book that talks about Aristotle's view, but also the reality of how things work and weather. And it's a, it's a quick read, even for people I don't know if you have somebody around you who's interested in weather. Like I said, you can download it for free. It's out there. Take a read, okay? Now, he wrote it all down. Now, this thing that he wrote down wasn't just about weather. So he covered some other things, all right? So he covered things such as 
earthquakes and salty oceans and things like optics, rainbows, that sort of thing. So it's not just all about the weather. There are, there are other things involved, okay? So just keep that in mind. All right, if I sound a little different at the moment, and I didn't, I'm going and closing the windows because at that time of day, it's on the weekend, and there's a lot of people trying to get back into New York City. I mean, in close proximity to the Holland Tunnel, well, it makes it kind of loud. So background noise averted. And again, I don't think most of you notice. Maybe you do. Maybe some of you do. In any case, let's get on with back to Aristotle. Now, where I was just talking about was this whole thing that he wrote up was not just about meteorology. It was things that he related. And it's even a talk about his view of kind of all of the atmosphere, the universe. Because what you need to remember, okay, is that Aristotle lived in the 300s BC from about, I want to say it was like 384 to 322, something like that. So 60 some odd years was a tutor to Alexander the Great. He studied under Plato, another you know big Greek name that people know about. But don't forget about the time in which we're talking about. Okay, so he put forth a, a view and wrote all this stuff down with the Earth being at the center, center of the universe, right? And talked about celestial bodies moving around and all these other things. So some of that is treated within this document. Some of it is in his other writings, but some of it is covered here. Okay. Or maybe it's covered here again, if you will. But he really broke things down into two groupings. One was it, it's the earth to the moon. Think of it as being phase one and then beyond the moon. All right. And between the earth and the moon were four layers. So beyond the moon, it was celestial bodies moving around again, all, all revolving around the earth. But he had the earth, so the solid material, if you will, call it rock, but but essentially earth at the center. Then there was the water layer, okay, and I understood that, and then air, and then above that was fire. So fire would be at the top of the atmosphere, kind of, you know, out to the moon, and I can't remember whether he expanded fire past the moon. It doesn't really matter. So there was this inner relationship of layers in addition to his splitting of the sublunar to beyond lunar orbit. And that still left us with a lot of, you got to remember at that time, Alexander the Great would go off from, from Greece and expand and look at all these other areas. But even people in that day that coming and going from different regions, there were still much of the people that lived in that area that had no clue how big the earth was, right? And how far south it went. They, they had done a fair amount of exploration north, but just in the nature of things, they hadn't gone too far south in Africa. And given that they were right by the Indian Ocean as well, so they, they had this view that, you know, it looked different down below, if you will, because they just hadn't been there, right? So they didn't have a concept of, of what all this stuff was. And one other thing that Aaron mentioned to me this week was, was something he said that when he was listening to the last episode, he was res- reminded of something. He was going to do stickers that sort of, Think, glo- think globally, act locally. And, and that's what I think Aristotle was trying to do. He was trying to think about how these things all related on a large scale. All right. But even his version of the globe was warped. All right. And his view version of, of how things were, were warped. And that's okay. Right. That doesn't mean there's no value in it. It's just a realism that this was happening, you know, 2,500 years ago, more or less. 
right? That's a long time ago. And what we knew and what we understood was a lot different from where we are today. But let me give you an example of, of kind of some of the things he said. So he understood as an example that clouds were of condensed water. He got that right, right? He actually, you know, you could argue that a lot of people would have gotten that wrong. And a lot of people probably did get it wrong. I can just imagine some of the theories that were running around 2,500 years ago about how a cloud formed, right? There was a dragon's breath or something. Yeah, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of going on. But because he didn't have certain pieces of knowledge... And because of this view of, like I said, you know, earth, water, air, fire thing, he thought that clouds couldn't go above mountains because that's where fire existed. And fire would essentially get rid of condensation. All right. Or they also couldn't form too close to the earth for the same reason, because the sun, you know, comes down. You know, he understood that whole idea of the sun warming the earth and hot air rising. But, but... We all know that clouds can be right at ground level. I mean, I've walked through plenty of clouds, and I'm sure some of you have as well. So it doesn't hold, but he was thinking in the view of where he was, right? And, and even if you think about, generally speaking, where the setup of Greece, the ocean temperatures there probably have stayed in somewhat of a range where they don't get the temperature changes, even in the water to land that you see in other areas that generate fog. Now, he may have viewed fog as not a cloud, and would kind of... Yeah, tricky thing there, but limited inputs. So his document does, it does capture all these other ideas that came from other people, all these other observations that other people had, but he still is trying to put it into his philosophical view on things, right? And just remember, thinking that time, because so much of how they were able to observe and view things was as much about the wise and how it relates to man and our spirituality as it was about just the natural world in and of itself, right? So he was missing some of that, but it, maybe missing is the wrong word, but just the way they thought about things and systems and the natural world and our interactions with it, the structure and the framework for those thoughts was just different. So they would put forward something that was kind of like a hypothesis, but because of the way it was presented and the way it was theorized, you couldn't prove or disprove something. Therefore, it's not a hypothesis. You couldn't attack it. You couldn't go after it and say, yes, my evidence that I've gone out and collected either proves or disproves that thing, right? So sometimes those things worked, but sometimes they kind of had to force fit and squeeze things in to make it work. Okay. But keeping all that in mind, right? If, if we, if we kind of stay with that in that context for a moment, let, let's think about, you know, did he get some of that stuff right? 2,500 years ago, he wrote all this stuff down, but was some of it right? And yes, he definitely had some very solid understanding of things. He had a very good grasp, and I, I kind of talked about this a little bit when I was talking about clouds of how the sun heats the earth and how hot air rises, he grasped that very well. So, you know, I talked in the last episode about how they, they, they didn't necessarily see the vertical or the think the vertical before he very much grasped the idea of vertical motions. All right. That, that hot air would rise and that 
things like precipitation fell. He he got all that very well and it you know made to me what is a fundamental step in the meteorological thought process which is we don't act in a horizontal plane. Yes, we exist that way, right? We experience very little of weather in a vertical sense because we're captured in some distance between you know a foot and and eight feet let's say I don't know what the tallest human is these days but we're captured in a very small thing and yes we can go up and down as we move through things but our personal experiences are very still captured in a in a shallow vertical range all right at any given moment he also in addition to that vertical thing understood as an example, different forms of precipitation. He, he grasped that rain was very different in how it formed than how snow formed and even how hail formed. So he was getting all the pieces, right? He understood the hots and the colds. He understood that, that there was these different things going on. He was understanding that there was vertical motions. And even to some extent, he understood the horizontal motions of, of winds. That all said, he in trying to make it work within his model it started to have some limitations, right? So what didn't necessarily work quite right was his understanding of when. And, and, and again, I think because he was at a time where they were appreciating that temperature differences seemed to be involved in wind flow, he was very much f- focused on this north-south wind flow idea. And that can actually hold very true depending on where you are with north winds coming from the cold nether regions of the North Pole and the hot winds coming from what is essentially hell to the south, okay? And like I said, with hail, he he thought that the higher hail may have gone in the clouds because he did. He understood the idea that hail may be moved up and down, but he thought that the higher up it would go, that actually in falling it would have to fall apart and therefore big hail would form actually closer to the ground, which we know is just... Not really. If you want to get a big piece of hail, you got to kind of turn it around a few times of up and down motion. Okay. So there were things that he he grasped the idea of this horizontal wind movement. He, he understood the idea of hail, but how it went to the fine tuning things and making that fit within his model, it didn't fully get there. And it wasn't that it was an unreasonable attempt. It just had to continue kind of go in what he was proposing right and then of course there were things that he just got plain wrong if you will right in one of those the the best example i know is thunder and lightning and and thunderstorms in general but thunder was this expulsion of air you know that was you know condensed into some little pocket sort of thing and it, you know it was that sort of thing. And then lightning came actually after thunder. Whereas we, you know, we know the opposite is true. We know that lightning, but at the same time, he understood this kind of separation of charges, the idea of separation of charges. So it wasn't completely flawed, but part of it was, let's be real, no matter how much independent thought he had at the time, he's still going to pull ideas and thoughts from other people. That's how we build on things. And so his model would have done some of that too. And in the end, to make certain things fit, yeah. You make up certain stories. Now, the struggle with that is is productive and as positive as all that is. It has the, the implications of that would be around for 1,000, 1,500 years, partly because what would happen shortly after his time. Yes, we would have the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. 
but that Roman Empire was in, in that area was focused on some different things. And, and you know, it was the rise of Christianity as well. So there was the religion front and there was the empire front. And not to say that there wasn't scientific knowledge gain at that time, but it was maybe just in a different focus. Then, of course, we had kind of the Dark Ages in, in again, the Western world, if you will. And so all these things essentially meant that his ideas would be around a very long time before we had enough additional knowledge to kind of start rethinking those general premises, right? So just think about it. Imagine for a thousand years that we there was this theory of how thunder formed and that thunder came before lightning and it was just kind of accepted as that's the way it is, right? And this is why it's important. This is why science is so important that we go through this iterative process that we always kind of question and re-question when we get new pieces because even things that you know we take for granted with Einstein and stuff, there were always there's always stuff in his things that like, eh, something doesn't quite work right with that. Or this idea that we need to understand dark matter to make Einstein's theories all work. And then we get a new piece of the information and we have to refine and rethink. And it's okay to do that. That's that's the whole idea. Doesn't mean you have to abandon everything, but it does mean that you kind of have to deconstruct and reconstruct certain premises. But Aristotle laid a lot of groundwork for at least us to build upon that was valid as well and for us to enhance and grow. So kind of like last time, if you look at it and you think about it, what, what were his challenges? You know, because we talked about it. I mean, that previous group, they just didn't have certain things. But as I mentioned, he kind of got vertical motion. So that was great. But he still didn't have this idea of doing proper measurements. So he was still lacking that. And Quite frankly, with the winds, I think one of his biggest challenges was still this lack of understanding of atmospheric pressure. Right? He was still very much focused on the, the warmth and cold, which quite often comes with atmospheric pressure changes, but didn't have that. And I think that was part of the flaws in some of what he put together. And quite frankly, in the end, it was as much, and, and this was in the paper, okay? And I really should give credit to the author who wrote these three papers, and I'm going to do that right now, excuse me, while I pull it up so that I can pull his name. And Frisinger was, Howard Frisinger, who wrote these things in 71, 72, 73, like I said, 50 years ago. But they're a good kind of, it was pre-Aristotle, Aristotle, then after Aristotle. And so I am referencing some of that stuff. And you ought to be able to get to it, um, through your library or it might even be freely available on not online now because it's old enough links are in the show notes i can't remember if the link just pulls up the abstract of the whole thing but hopefully you can get access to it but he pointed out that aristotle thought like a philosopher instead of a scientist and that was always going to lead to certain problems and certain conclusions that he made and i think that's very true i don't know it's an interesting person like I said, kind of the grandpappy of meteorology, if you will, in part because he put it all together, but in part because he got a lot of things right, or at least had a, a general understanding of it, even if he couldn't prove it all, even if, if some of it would turn out to be completely just hogwash, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that there was nothing good there. There was a lot of solid foundation from which to build going forward, in any case. Next time, we're going to get to Victorian age. I am going to focus on that book that I talked about. I'm going to put a link in the show notes of to that book. I was able to access it finally through my access to the New York Public Library because they had a way that you could do that. I'm going to put a link in there. You may not be able to get it like I was able to. I'm hoping you can, but since I was able to get to it, we're going to focus on that. But we're also going to talk about when Aristotle stuff kind of started becoming 
less the thing. So a little pre-Victorian, but we're going to focus on the Victorian, like I said, just because I, I want to kind of hit some of the stuff in that book that I wasn't able to hit when I did a, a previous episode. But until then, until then, the next time, right, that you don't have evidence to prove anything that you're trying to prove, but you're just sure that you're just sure you're right, right? Just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>